Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, and I am here in New York City, in Washington, D.C. I'm joined by Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University and by Ed Luce of the Financial Times. Somewhere out there, maybe at some point, Corey Shockey will join us here. Although the internet that she is having in London is an old-fashioned British internet, apparently, Ed. and It's the World Wide Web. Yeah, it's the, the webs, the interwebs. It's the interwebs, and it's crank-operated and gas runs on gas power or something. And so... Corey has been cutting in and out, but we're going to go ahead, and if she joins us, we will welcome her. Guys, this is just one of those weeks. You know, that recently I've gotten this kind of, that I don't know this, I, I don't know what the reaction is. It's kind of Trumpigo or some kind, it's, it's like vertigo. It's like I, so much news comes in so fast, and it's like, and you don't know how to take it all. And it's like, we, we were talking a little bit about it in the last episode, but Rosenstein's in, Rosenstein's out. You know, when this thing runs, there's going to be a Rosenstein-Trump meeting. That the same day, there's going to be a Kavanaugh meeting. Kavanaugh has been accused by two people and the time we're recording this. But there are other alleged, you know, accusations that might come out. The Republicans are taking a hard line. Women are protesting in the streets. A, a huge debate is taking place in the context of the Me Too moment. The UN is going on. There's meetings with the North Koreans. There's meetings with Iran. I can't take it. <laughs> David, <laughs> just take a deep breath. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's insane. How is anybody supposed to have any perspective on anything when everything is happening all at once, all the uh, time? I was set up to, I mean, requested uh, to write a, a hot take when it looked like Rosenstein was uh, was resigning or being fired. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, there was Kavanaugh stuff breaking the whole whole time. And, you know, in, in the ordinary course of duties, a hot take is something that, you know, happens, has to be written quicker than you would ideally like. But uh, there is a sort of clear framing and understanding of what you're writing about, and that there is some ground beneath your feet. Um, in this situation, I, I was extremely reluctant to write anything because I knew that by the time I'd sort of got past the second paragraph, the premise on which I was writing this hot take would have gone up in smoke. Uh, and indeed, <laughs> and indeed that it is did. exactly what happened. Um, so I saved myself a bit of time um, by anticipating that. I did have a rather 
uh, what I thought was very clever, but I, apparently I'm the only one who thinks this, a very clever he- headline, which is Rosenstein and Kavanaugh are dead. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, but uh, nobody else found it at all persuasive. Oh, oh, oh. I, I think it's genius, Ed. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and all the Tom Stoppard fans out there are getting uh, undusting undust- off their Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Very good, David. And you didn't have time to Google that either. I am impressed. <laughs> oh, um, you have no idea how fast David can Google. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> no, no. I actually once played Guildenstern in a production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh, well, that's one better than me. Yeah. Um, so it's I've, all, I've, and, seen, and we, I've seen Mel Gibson play Hamlet. That's about as far as I can go. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> Anti Semitic Hamlet. Do we hear Corey? Do I we hear Corey. I heard that telltale laugh. Corey, quick, before your internet goes out, laugh at something. <laughs> you, you probably want me to tell another joke, huh? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, where did Napoleon keep his armies? Where? In his sleeveys. <laughs> Corey? <laughs> The internet has gone out again. Uh, I appreciate it. Either that, that or that joke was so bad that not even Corey would laugh at it. No, I think she, Corey she went, hung up. She hung I think up. she unplugged her internet. As she actually point. refuses to participate in any more of these podcasts if I don't stop it with the jokes. Yeah, no, and I love that there's a group of people. Hey, let's do Rosa Brooks joke book. Which, <laughs> yeah. You know, there there are all those ancient jokes of tiny books with no words in them. But um, oh. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just that they're very extreme and offensive, Rosa. I mean, I, I think that's why Corey hung up. Yeah. yeah. No, I know it was pretty risque. I I try to live on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> no, you really, you 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 really do. But it is, you know, the, the 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 you know, you talk about hot takes and how the stories change all the time. Um, the other thing, though, is that they don't actually change that much. You know. Every single, you know, th- there is a pattern. Someone accuses Kavanaugh of sexual assault. Someone accuses Kavanaugh of sexual assault. Someone accuses Kat. You mean like that? <laughs> well, then yeah. someone accuses Trump of sexual assault. And somebody oh, accuses like that. Hudson of sexual oh, assault. And, and Trump gave speech to the UN saying sovereignty is really important. America first. Isn't, yeah, wasn't, well, exactly. wasn't that last year? It was last year. It was written by the same guy with the same kind of crazy words. But but there are patterns emerging here, you know. And one of the patterns is Trump and Kavanaugh, and Rob Porter, and Pudzer, and, and you know, Corey Lewandowski, and all these people have abused or hit or pushed or harassed women. And there's a story about it on a regular basis. Um, you know, the, the, you know the, the, hot takes are the enemy, you know, when you can take a step back and see the pattern here. The, we, we've gotten to a point where being anti-woman is the is a central premise of the GOP, and you know, Rosa McConnell is like doubling down. He's like saying, "Yeah, all these accusations are a smear." I know. And, well, and, Kavanaugh's doubling down. Yeah, yeah, but they're all just sort of saying, "Okay, the hell with it. We are not going to show any respect at all for these women, or that any of this could be true. We're just simply going to say it's political." That seems to me to be very short-sighted. I think that's right. I think, I mean, I think if Kavanaugh had been wiser, um, you know, his response to the very first allegation should 
have been some variant of look, you know, I I don't have I don't I don't recall this. I, you know, I've searched my memory and my conscience. I don't recall it. However, um, you know, I realize it takes tremendous courage for someone to come forward uh, to talk about things of this nature. And it's very clear that uh, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford has, you know, gone through something extremely traumatic. And I acknowledge that in the early 1980s, when I was a teenager and a young man, uh, we we did some things that I'm really ashamed of looking back on. And it was a culture of heavy drinking. Um, it was a culture of casual disregard for, you know, the integrity of women's bodies and casual sexism. And when I think back on this period, I'm appalled and I welcome the investigation. Uh, and I'm absolutely committed to doing what I can to help ensure that the kinds of events that she describes, you know, never occur to women in the future, what can, you know, that if he had said something like that, I think that uh, people would go much, much more gently on him, a willingness to at least acknowledge the seriousness of the issue and at least acknowledge the possibility that almost by definition, a, a youth that uh, if, if his, even his own accounts are to be believed, his own jokes about excessive drinking in, in speeches he's made, that if that's to be to believe, there's at least the possibility that some bad stuff happened. Um, and one of the, as we know, one of the things that happens when people are extremely drunk is that their inhibitions are lowered and they do crappy things and sometimes they don't remember it later. You know, and, and instead, I think he's handled it in a way that, that is really guaranteed to alienate uh, the vast majority of women and quite a lot of men, and including many Republican women who, you know, who, who may support him in other ways, but are sort of appalled at the cavalier reaction uh, as opposed to an empathetic reaction. Well, I think, you know, it's so I, I think they totally underestimate the number of people who are affected by these things. And, you know, there was a period when I was looking at Twitter, you know, at some point today, um, Rosa, when I saw literally in a 30 second span, your mother say that this had happened to her. And my daughter write in an article that it had happened to her. I honestly think it has happened to almost every woman. I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to me multiple times. It's happened to almost every woman. You know, it, it's and 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 I I hope and pray that this is changing. You know, that David, you know, your daughters are adults now. My daughters and Ed's daughter are still kids. You know, I hope and pray that. By the time, uh, you know, as that they get older, they are not going to be encountering this kind of behavior in the way that so many women of, of my generation and prior generations did. But but no, I mean, the the thing that sort of almost astonishes me most is when I hear people saying, you know, well, you know, I certainly can't imagine that kind of shocking behavior. I feel like my teen years, sadly, and maybe I just went to the wrong parties, were were full of that kind of behavior. It was it was the norm, which does not make it okay. It was appalling to live through then. It it would be appalling for anyone to have to go through it now. But but it was the norm. No, no, it's awful. I was, my daughter wrote this article in Esquire saying she got drunk at some party and you know some guy put his thing in her face and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, what is going on out there? And your daughter, your older daughter is the age Christine Ford was, right? Yeah, she's 16 years old. And, you know, she, I, I 
shudder to imagine her being around boys behaving in the way that uh, Kavanaugh and his friends are alleged to behave. And I have, I have, you know, I have n- no trouble whatsoever imagining Kavanaugh behaving in exactly that way, not because I regard him as some uniquely debauched, depraved, evil individual. He, he, I think there may be some reason to think that on independent grounds, unrelated to these allegations having to do with his broader judicial philosophy. Um, but, but, you know, the, a great many boys who should have known better than and now do exactly that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, Ed, I, I don't know if you saw it, but I sort of went off on a little Twitter rant on Saturday or Sunday about this. And, you know, what struck me was that Kavanaugh and Trump and a lot of these guys uh, in the Congress and people in the Trump cabinet were all sort of prime examples of what I call asshole culture, where, you know, they're they're brought up, they're entitled, they go to these schools, they think they can do whatever they want, they behave like jerks, um, and then they get away with it because there is a generation of assholes ahead of them who say, well, we'll take care of you, we'll look the other way, everybody makes these mistakes. And it's kind of like these assholes are the Praetorian guard of the patriarchy, where they're sort of, you know, doing, you know, doing all this stuff. And, you know, Trump is, you know, a prime example of it. But, you know, literature is full of them and and movies are full of them, of these, you know, spoiled, um, uh, self-absorbed, women abusing uh, jerks who smarm their way through life, and and it's it's re- they really play a kind of a bigger role in our culture than we'd like, I think. Uh, and I was really shocked. I mean, it was one of those few except times where I like wrote some long Twitter chain, and 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 there were like a million. You went three- viral. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there were like over a million people out there, you know, sharing it, looking at it, and so forth. So it must have it it, it must have hit hit a nerve that. You know, this kind of asshole culture is a real thing out there. Um, and it, and it's sort of come center stage in the Trump era. Yeah, I think I think it um, deservedly hit a nerve. I mean, uh, the what Rosa said about, you know, this has happened to almost every woman. I mean, I, I have been even, you know, before this, even before the Me Too um, wave began um, with the Harvey Weinstein um, revelations that, I, I've had conversations the last few years with uh, female friends and women I know and um, people close to me that have stunned me uh, about what's happened to them in the past that they have, uh, you know, either in this context or in other contexts revealed to me. Um, and that, you know, my surprise, I guess, is quite surprising. Um, so when Rosa says something like that two years ago, if you'd said that, I would have said, really, every woman? And now I'm not not inclined to, to 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 doubt you at all. One thing I would say about the the arsehole culture and and Kavanaugh's sort of current personification of it, which I think is um, you know a, a absolutely fair at the, uh, given what we know, is that if if I had been accused of you know sexual um, assault. Uh, and notwithstanding all the very good points Rosa has made at a separate stage about, you know, the problem with juvenile crime uh, and holding people 
countable 36 years later, etc. Notwithstanding all of that, if I'd been accused of that, um, and still more of um, what he was accused of doing at Yale, um, the first thing I would want is the most credible, thorough investigation yeah, to, clear, to clear my name. That is the first thing I would want. It would matter way more than whether I got uh, this job. Because it would be me, my standing, my family, what people think of me. It would be my reputation forever at stake. And nothing would, would count against that. Nothing would be as important as that. Um, so it's quite possible that Kavanaugh doesn't want this investigation because he's so sort of beltwayed in his thinking that it's all about what is the partisan advantage. And, you know, we've got to be speedy here because the Dems might take the Senate. Then we'll lose the swing seat on the Supreme Court. It's quite possible he is such uh, an inveterate creature of Washington, that that is the reason he doesn't want the FBI to investigate it. But for goodness sake, you would want your name cleared. Yeah, yeah. The only footnote I would add, David, to your, your comments on asshole culture um, is that in this, I, I think asshole culture absolutely exists and asshole culture uh, is very much uh, uh, co-extant with, uh, you know, spoiled rich boy culture. Um, but I, I, I think let's not let the non-spoiled, non-rich boys uh, entirely off the hook. You know, I, I, I went to a high school that was much more blue-collar, um, a public high school, and this was this was rampant. You know, this is this is this specific piece here is uh, you know it's it's more patriarchy than it is uh, elites, although it gets an extra dollop of noxiousness when you add in the element of uh, you know upper crust. Uh, Washingtonian fancy prep schools and so forth. Well, I have to say, in my high school in New Jersey, this may have been happening, but I was not invited to those parties. And I sort of, I missed out on the whole thing. But you know the other thing? <laughs> and that speaks very well of you. Yeah. We, no. we, we need to start a hashtag, not in our name for men, David. Yeah, ex well, exactly. But but you know what else I missed out on, Ed? And maybe maybe you weren't like this, but... I just didn't keep a diary of all my bad deeds. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, sometimes, I mean, I checked my um, Google diary for 1982 the other day, yeah. and it's, it said I turned 14, and then the rest is blank, which is a real puzzle. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, right. But you're, it, I, exactly, it's your Google diary from, from, from then. But, but, you know, this is, there, there's a lot of stuff in this is just, preposterous. You know, I don't remember. Um, and I was never at that specific party and the specific people who were in the room at, with me at the party, they didn't, you know, remember. And it's in my diary that it didn't happen. And it's like, now, wait a minute, all these things can't be true. Um, and some of the things aren't even denied, you know, he, he, you know the, 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 be the best friend who was in the room wrote a book about being an alcoholic and about, you know, treating women badly. And in yeah, that about binge drinking followed by blackouts. Blackouts. The 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 fraternity at, at Yale that he belonged to, this Deke fraternity, um, which, you know, had great slogans like no means yes and yes means anal. And you know, I mean it was they got thrown off the campus because they were such pigs. And he was in it. He was at the forefront of it. You know, and, you know, at some point, don't we sort of stop and say, wait a minute, 
This guy's a jerk. Well, yeah, and I think over and above the question of the truth of the underlying truth and accuracy of the underlying allegations, you know, it's reasonable to say, how do you feel today, Mr. Kavanaugh, about the fact that you belong to a fraternity that thought it was funny to make jokes about date rape? You know, how do you feel about that? It would be nice to see a little bit of self-awareness of, you know, oh, actually, huh, looking back, maybe that wasn't so cool. Yeah, but self-awareness is not like the strong suit of the Trump administration, Ed. It's not like, you know, I mean, you, you can't imagine Donald Trump sitting there having long, dark nights of the soul or for that matter, Brett Kavanaugh going, what did I do? This, so I'm I think, so, I think absolutely. I can't imagine that. So I think it's really important here, not just for political reasons, um, but for intrinsically sort of valuable reasons, too, uh, to actually with that line of questioning and with how we approach these horrible and fraught issues is to differentiate Brett Kavanaugh's behavior from every boy of that age. I mean, you know, you had Neil Gorsuch, he went to the same school. There is no whiff of such allegation around him. Um, That it's not because you're in a demographic and from an elite that you behave in a certain way. It's because you individually choose to. Now, whether, you know, Kavanaugh did or didn't, or the extent to which he he did is is not, is a sort of separate, separate question. I suspect uh, a lot of this is true and maybe worse and maybe more we've yet to hear. But I think it's very important that, you know, when we get sort of quite viral sentiments out there saying, um, I believe her, I, I never believe him, that this is quite dangerous. Um, this is quite a dangerous ideology. We, we, we uh, you know, still live in a system where individuals are accountable for their own behavior and where innocent innocence is presumed until you're proven guilty. Uh, I think that the bar, the standard for becoming a Supreme Court justice should be higher than just that. But I do get a little bit concerned when I see some very sweeping statements, um, you know, about always believing the woman just by definition and always believing the man man is lying just by definition, because I think that's both intrinsically wrong and politically very, very dangerous. This is where Trump can exploit resentments and where opinion polls probably won't capture it. There'll be shy Trumpsters out there, um, you know, who, who are feeling who are feeling their masculinity challenged or impugned or defensive. And so I'm I just just concerned that that, you know, backlashes aren't given pretexts. Well, that's that's right. And but part of part of that phenomenon is caused when everything is reduced to he said and she said. And when you resist process, mm-hmm. because the, the simple the simpler way, way to avoid that is to say, if there is a credible accusation, then you go through the following steps. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And I also I also think that this is the kind of thing where where the sort of truth commission type of model is actually not a bad one. You know, when 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 you have a form of of appalling behavior that was extremely widespread and to some some degree viewed as socially acceptable that we that we now say you know that many people at the time said was harmful and that almost everyone now acknowledges to be toxic and harmful you know that 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 you also and, and in some ways the me too moment is having this effect that that the the issue stops being 
you know, did person A do this particular appalling thing 35 years ago and becomes, you know, how do we talk as a culture about the fact that we live in a society which for so long enabled and and in some ways prompted so many boys and men to think that that was acceptable to do to so many girls and women. Um, and let's talk about the impact of that on women, on their careers, on their livelihoods, you know, on their on their mental health, on their physical health. Let's talk about the effect of that society. Let's talk about the effect of that on the boys and the men. You know, that, that there are there are other ways to talk about it that that I think are important that go beyond the sort of question of, you know, who was at which party when and did exactly what. Um, and that, you know, I, I mean, Ed, I, I share your, your concern and I, I, I think it's worrying. I'm, and actually, you know, another thing that worries me a little bit about the discourse, um, I think that there are ways to have the Me Too conversation in a way that is, that is very empowering for women. And there are ways to have the conversation in ways, in a manner that sort of unintentionally reinforces some of the very kinds of toxic notions that we should be reacting against. And, and here's what I mean specifically. You know, you think back to the kind of, uh, you know, 19th century Victorian era notions of femininity. You know, a woman's, a mo- a woman's most, most sacred possession is her, her virtue, you know, and her honor. And think about the discourse that we've seen until quite recently about, you know, well, why debates about whether women should be uh, allowed to uh, be in combat positions in the military. And one of the arguments that would pop up periodically would be, well, yes, but if a woman is in combat and she's captured, she could be raped. To which the, you know, the, the implied assumption is that, well, of course, a man could be captured too, right? And he could be tortured, he could be killed, he could be raped for that matter. But the assumption that for a woman, being raped would be worse than being tortured or killed. You know, being raped would be worse than all the various things that could happen to a man. And that somehow there's there's something about female uh, virtue that is linked to, um, you know, sexual purity. With, and if you take that away from a woman, that she's nothing, that you have taken away the most precious thing. I think that's a really toxic idea, um, you know, and I think... I think that you see sort of a strand of that in some of the Me Too discourse. You know, it should be an it should be an empowering discourse. It should be, hey, women, we get to say we are fed up. We are fed up with this. You know, this behavior is appalling. It's dehumanizing. Stop doing it. But there is a little strand, and you you see it coming out both in the some of the comments, not all by any means, about Kavanaugh, and some of the sort of broader comments. Uh, associated with other sort of Me Too stuff that, that sort of suggests that, and the reason this is bad is because, you know, sexually touching a woman against her will, you know, is, is this sort of uniquely horrible thing for women in a way that wouldn't be true for anybody else. And it sort of plays into those old sort of Victorian, you know, all that a woman has is her purity. You fuck with that and she will be traumatized forever because, you know, women are different from men. They are more delicate uh, and it is more damaging to do this to a woman. And, and, you know, I think that on the one hand, right, I mean, when we live in a society that tells women that your response to this should be shame and a sense of defilement and so on, that of, of course that happens. But that's precisely what we should be saying to women. No, you know, um, 
yeah, it's horrible. It would be horrible if it was done to a man. It would be horrible if it's done to anybody. You know, and, and trying to keep the discourse from sort of sliding back into this kind of weird Victorian notion that the problem here is 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 you know, the the delicacy of sort of female purity. I, I worry about that a lot as well. Yeah, well, it's 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 crazy. Now you know that. I mean, there is another drama going on in Washington at the same time, which is this drama about Rod Rosenstein. And, you know, maybe this will be resolved by the time that uh, some people end up listening to this episode. But, you know, underlying this is another issue of morality and ethics because it's about a respect for the rule of law. And the president has the same attitude towards the norms of dealing with the rule of law that he does with dealing with women. Um, Being entitled leads you into a lot of problems. And he seems to think that he should be above investigation, that anyone against him deserves to be um, penalized. That uh, that and 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 he's slow doing this kind of slow motion Saturday night massacre, and I don't think anybody, regardless of how the Rosenstein thing plays out today, tomorrow, this week, believes that two months from now, Jeff Sessions will be the Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein will be the Deputy Attorney General. We've already lost one FBI director, one Deputy FBI director. Um, uh, some of the people who are active on this investigation have been pushed out of out of the thing. I think the message the system is sending to Donald Trump is you can push these people aside, Ed. I mean, I think the message the system is sending is there's some outrage, but you can get away with it. Yeah, I think one of the the best sort of monikers I've heard for the reason why he um, can probably continue to get away with it is Vichy Republicans. Um, it's once you've once you've begun to cooperate a little and connive a little and turn a little bit of a blind eye, it becomes habitual and harder and harder as time goes on to to turn back. And we can pick any number of you know, examples of characters who've been captured this way, like Lindsey Graham is currently the, 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 the favorite, but there are, there are plenty. Um, uh, um, most Republicans, in fact, fit this description. Uh, and I, I think, you know, ultimately, uh, some of them might think they're playing Trump, like in the Vichy era, some of the, you know, uh, over self-estimating French collaborators might have thought they could uh, they could actually play the Nazis, or some of the sort of German industrialist leaders in 1933 thought that Hitler was a fool. Uh, I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler, by the way, um, uh, but the example is a salient one. And I think Vichy Republicans is a very good moniker for what's going on because once you've collaborated a little, you're basically in. Uh, it becomes much, much more difficult over time. So uh, the, the the sort of narrative we have, or trajectory rather, we have in our head is, well, it gets more and more difficult to collaborate as Trump's actions get more and more shocking and outrageous and challenging to constitutional norms. But actually, psychologically, I think it gets easier and easier. Uh, uh, and therefore, Trump's ability 
to do things like uh, the examples you just mentioned, David, um, firing Rosenstein, um, you know, um, which you know he might well be might might well be preparing to do um, in the coming days. Uh, and therefore having no layer in between, no serious layer, credible layer between him and firing Mueller, these things become easier for the Lindsey Grahams of this world, world to tolerate, not harder. Well, Rosa, you know, one of the our strangely recurring themes here on, on Deep State Radio has been, you know, when is this a constitutional crisis? And we've talked a little bit about the frog and the boiling water, and it does seem to be unfolding in slow motion, but it, it, it also seems like the president may well get to dismantle the operation that's seeking to, to investigate him. And I can't think of something, you know, that would more clearly be uh, a constitutional crisis. And when it was thought on Monday that Rosenstein was going to get fired, there were people starting to go, okay, time to go to the streets, you know, time time to go to the mattresses, folks. And I'm just wondering what your take is on all this. Well, I think it's sort of a semantic distinction, right? Constitutional crisis versus constitutional rot. You can, you can I mean, and this is a, definitely has been a theme for us that, that when things fall apart, there's rarely a single moment that in which they are it clearly falling apart. It's the accretion of, of, you know, a dozen or a hundred or a thousand incremental uh, things that, that sort of chips away at uh, norms, at the stability of a culture, at rule of law. And, you know, there, there's no, there's often no one moment where you can say, yeah, it was today. It really turned the corner. Yeah, it was yesterday. And I, and I think it's, I actually think that that insight precisely is the important one, that if you're waiting for that moment where you can say definitively, oh, now they've crossed the line, that you'll probably wake up one day and discover that you crossed that line long, long ago, um, that you have to be, you have to treat all of these like the appalling things that they are. Um, I, but wait I think a minute. that's not I, that's not how I look at it. I look at it like we're all a family in a car here at Deep State Radio and we're going someplace and, you know, you're the mom and we're saying, are we minute. there yet? <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. I know? don't like this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't you know, like anything about this metaphor. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet, Rosa? I would tell you, David, that we've been there for years. We've been there before Donald Trump. You know, that the 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 manifest and numerous injustices uh, uh, and dysfunctions um, of American democracy, inequalities, um, uh, you know, immoral political behavior, um, morally bankrupt public policies that we've been there for a long time. Is it getting worse? It can always get worse. You know, it always, always, always can get worse. Um, but so, so I, I'm not. I don't find the question sort of is today a constitutional crisis, but yesterday wasn't very interesting for that reason. Um, I, I also think you know, we shall see, right? Um, if the Democrats take both the House and the Senate uh, in the midterm elections, which seems like an actual possibility, uh, quite a lot could change quite quickly. 
Um, you know, Trump could, you know, so right now, when we think Trump may be on the verge of dis attempting to dismantle the investigation into his own behavior, we say that's appalling. It's a breakdown. Uh, if the Democrats win the midterms and stop him from doing that, then maybe we say, oh, look, the system worked. You know, we have three branches of government for a reason and it worked. Um, so, so I don't know. Let, let's that that needless to say, you know, getting rid of Trump, as I just suggested, would not go nearly uh, far enough in terms of correcting any of these sort of deep depravities in American political culture. Um, but, it would, you know, it would certainly be a nice start. Uh, yeah, well, um, yeah, so 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 it would. Uh, I guess we've come to the end of our time here for this particular podcast. I wish that Corey could have connected with us. We'll have her join us again soon. Uh, Ed, I think that you guys should enter the 21st century in the United Kingdom with um, with your connections to the internets, the inter the inner tubes. Um, well, an issue we an issue we could have been discussing in another podcast is that as as we speak and Corey doesn't because of the internet. Um, dropping uh the labor party is unfolding a marxist platform for the economy so i think there's a 20th century sort of thread running through this week in london uh yeah well you know good good for you i mean i, I i'm not sure what century we're in if i look at u.s trade policy we're sort of in the 1890s um and the morality of this administration seems to be back there as well uh, <laughs> So you may be you may be well ahead of us. In any event, um, I want to thank you guys for joining us and for having this really lively discussion. Um, uh, we really appreciate our listeners. We are incredibly grateful. So many people have gone to deepstateradionetwork.com and signed up. If you have not gone to deepstateradionetwork.com and looked around and seen the new content and seen the rants that we're doing now and seen the uh, additional blog posts that are being put up there and seen the in-depth discussions of issues that we're adding to the site. Uh, and later this week, you'll see the, the launching of a daily newsletter that we'll be doing, just sort of tracking the world as we look at it, as we look at expert sites around the world. So giving you something you don't get anywhere else. If you haven't, go look at it. But then Go click on membership, find a level that you want to join at, join, support us. That allows us to grow, add podcasts, add content, add live events. And we have, I think, some pretty exciting announcements on live events and some other media that we'll make uh, next week or the week after. So stay tuned for that. But it, it, what you do will allow us to add that. Uh, and you'll get a mug out of it or a T-shirt or a sweatshirt, or a challenge coin, or any of the other good things that are in the Deep State swag store, which is really probably, you know, going to pass Amazon any day now as the coolest store on the internet. So go there uh, and support us. It really means a lot to us, and it's going to make some great things possible here. Um, and, you know, it'll enable us to send free mugs to Rosa and Ed um, or at least reduce the monthly payments on the mugs they've got now. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> David, my mug shelf is actually getting a little crowded. <laughs> well, we've got. We've I, I'm got, okay on the mugs. We've got some other good stuff. We've got apparel. We've got water bottles. Yeah, challenge. but when are we going to be selling crowns of entropy? And well, we are going to work. We are working on going to do a crown of entropy. You know, sort of Rosa mug and a tiara of optimism, Corey mug. Uh, but we could actually sell the real thing. I, I think we your need father to has actually thing. manufactured these. Could we hire your father? Yeah, to- my father recently retired, so he has a little more time on his hands now than he than he did previously. I'm sure we could see if we could, uh, you know, put him to work on an hourly wage assembling uh, thorny crowns of entropy. Although. I, you know, he will demand workers come because it is, it's a hazardous enterprise because of the thorns. No, that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a good point, but well, we'll be directly in touch with him, Rosa. That's an excellent idea. And Ed, if you'd <laughs> like to put your daughter to work for us. If there's a t-shirt involved and it's not too entropic, uh, that that's a yes. Yeah. D- right. Or we could sell deep state rabbits. Do you still have a rabbit? Uh, our rabbit died, so um, I, I resent oh, you for raising no. that issue. Oh, Ed. oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry about it. There, there's got to be a Monty Python punchline. I, I just yeah. can't think of. <laughs> well, uh, well, my my dog uh, is willing to make herself available for pats on the head to needy, dog deprived individuals. Yeah, and this is, after all, Rosa Brooks's dog. Yes, just kind of a famous dog. And uh, and she and she is a giving, caring dog who who understands that there are dog-deprived people throughout the D.C. metro area. Yeah, I think my, I think my wife will come over for that. <laughs> well, she, she's welcome to. She, she's <laughs> constantly accosting people on the street and saying, may I pet your dog? <laughs> that sounds uh, like my kids. <laughs> well, at least they ask, right? Because the, otherwise you end up, you know, the, speaking of jokes, you know, you end up with the joke that was in the Pink Panther where, the, the guy goes up on a corner and sees a man standing there and a dog and he says, may I pet your dog? And the guy says, sure. And he reaches down to pet the dog next to the guy and the dog bites him. And, and the guy says, but you said I could pet your dog. And the other guy says, that's not my dog. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. He actually says, that's not my dog. <laughs> well, it was a joke. It was a joke before it was a movie skit. Um, all right. Well, folks, the jokes are free, and they're probably worth exactly what you pay for them. Thanks very much, Ed. Thanks, Rosa. Thanks to all of you wonderful Deep State nerds. We love you. Come back soon. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.